0: Philippians chapter two is where we are, and uh, where we have been for a while. Been looking at uh, the the theme of Philippians, which is how to have joy through the mind of Christ, no matter what. That's the theme overall of the book of Philippians: joy through the mind of Christ, no matter what. You know, you don't you don't really need to worry about joy necessarily until life gets weird and then happiness that comes from a rock star energy drink just doesn't do it anymore you got to have something that is supernatural and uh, in in fact the way to have joy is so ridiculous you can't do it with your own mind he tells us in chapter one that we are in Christ and in chapter two he tells us that we're going to have the mind of Christ he says, let this mind be in you. Allow the mind of Christ to be in you. And there, why would anybody want to keep the mind of Christ out? Why would anyone need to be told to allow the mind of Christ to be in me? <clears throat> now, it's in me, in the person of Christ, but sometimes it seems like it's hermetically sealed so that it doesn't seep out. Well, it's certainly sealed by the Holy Spirit to keep the flesh from affecting it, but God has no desire to keep the Holy Spirit sequestered in a little isolation chamber inside of me. He wants the Spirit of God to seep throughout my entire being. And here's the reason why we don't want to happen, obviously, uh, often in our lives, is because what it requires of us, The reason why I have to allow the mind of Christ to be in me is because naturally speaking, I don't really in my old nature care about the mind of Christ. I care about my mind. And sometimes in my super spiritual religious state, I want other people to think that I have the mind of Christ so that they know how much better I am than they are. That's what religion does for you. Basically, it's an opportunity to show that you're superior to someone else. But he said, let this mind be in you. And we're going to see here what that looks like and the reason why we're told to let it be in us. It's not natural. It's supernatural. In verse 14, he says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. There's a clue right there. It's impossible for me to do all things without murmurings and disputings. In my own mind. Why? I wake up murmuring. And as soon as I see the first human, I'm disputing. (laughs) But he said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And we live in the midst of a nation full of crooks and perverts, do we not? But we are, to, we are to be among them, he said, among whom in the midst, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. God doesn't need anybody else telling people how dark it is. He needs someone to show the light. To show the light. And here's another form of self-righteousness. When you're constantly saying how bad things are, what you're saying is, I'm not that bad. That's really bad. Of course, you need to say when something is evil and wicked, you need to be willing to say that it is. But what's the antidote for that? Here's the antidote. Me holding forth the word of life in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's the antidote for darkness is the light. Who has the light? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he said, ye are the light of the world. You and I are the light in this dark world now you can understand a little bit why he said let this mind be in you it's a different way of thinking it's not the natural human response the natural human response is when are people going to clean up this mess why do, people, why do people keep leaving stuff around nobody cares it's not like the old days things are terrible today, it's horrible and it is true who's going to clean it up? I'm going to clean it up Who's going to be responsible for the mess that this world makes? I'm going to be responsible. And I can't fix it all, but I can tell you one thing. I can hold forth the word of life. That's my job. And then he goes on to say, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice, verse 16, in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I'm looking forward to a time when I can look back over my life and determine whether or not it was worthy of bringing glory to God or not. And I don't want to get to that point and say, I ran in vain. Neither labored in vain. Yea, he says verse 17, And if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. In this chapter, then, Paul has cited two examples of self-sacrificing love. The first one is Jesus Christ himself. We read just a little while ago. And the second is Paul, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, he said, no, it doesn't bother me to give myself for you. That's why I'm here. I'm on this earth for you. I want to push you forward in your walk with God. He's been writing about being lowly, how the Lord humbled himself and he was, and had lowliness of mind and humbleness of mind. And he says, uh, we're to be lights in the world, speaking of lowly, And being lights, now Paul introduces two new characters into the story. These are characters, these are men who have a reputation. Timothy, or Timotheus, and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. He's a minister for them. He is apparently a a pastor there in Philippi. Timothy is a fixer. Timothy is a Swiss army knife, and God has used him through Paul and directed him into various places throughout Asia Minor and in Macedonia, which is where Timothy has been and where he's going to go back. He says in verse number 19, "...but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state." For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Notice in verse 19, Timothy or Timotheus is able to be sent to go and find out how the Philippians are doing and to let the Philippians know how Paul is doing. And he uses several words that we will look at today. And I ask this question of you and ask the question of the text. What made Timothy such a useful tool of edification? If you were going to be considered for uh, helping another believer, what qualities do you have that would be useful in building up that believer if If I were saying I, I need to accomplish this particular spiritual task, and i 'm standing here as a pastor i 'm looking across the congregation, and I, I think who would be the one who what man, what woman could accomplish this task? There would have to be certain qualities that would allow you to be put forward as a candidate. And and it is something that all of us should desire to be a useful tool in edifying other believers. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you memorize the Bible. Well, no, you certainly should memorize the Bible. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you win souls. Well, certainly you should win souls. No, but by this shall all I men know you're my disciples, if you have what? Love, one for another. The ability to build up other believers is core in the Christian life. You say, I'm not really good with people. Then you can't be a good Christian. If you're not willing to be made so that you can be good with people. Now, I say good with people. I don't mean fake I don't mean some kind of a a charismatic salesman. I'm talking about the ability to build someone up in the faith, to encourage them in their walk with God, to strengthen the hands of the poor and needy, to be able to help those who are weak and suffering, to be able to put your hand on theirs and say, you're not going to fall while I'm here. I am praying for you. That's what God calls us to. God calls us to be able to edify other believers. Timotheus was that kind of guy. What made him that kind of guy? I'll tell you, I don't think it just, out of the blue, Timotheus just kind of popped in. Well, that's the guy. He said, don't judge after the outward appearance. He said, judge righteous judgment. You know what made Jesus Christ uh, able to do that? The Bible says that he judged righteously and he was of quick understanding. He understood the spiritual ramifications, the spiritual qualities that were necessary. When we think about people, who do you want to have come over your house? Who do you want to, to send if we were to say, if we were to nominate as they did in the book of Acts chapter six, let's choose seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. If there was a certain task... And by the way, that was a financial and a, 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 a physical, material need in Acts chapter 6. There were widows that were being neglected. And so the church leaders said, "We Hey, we need to stay in the Bible and prayer. And we need y'all to find seven people that can go and help those ladies. Would you be one of the ones considered? Now, of course, it would depend on the task, I would imagine. But in a spiritual sense... We all should have similar characteristics. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That comes together. Some people say, well, I'm more on the faith side. I don't do a whole lot of the love. No, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that's producing faith in you is the same Spirit that's producing love in someone else. It's not a different Spirit. There is one self-same Spirit. That's that spirit desires to produce all nine characteristics of the fruit of the spirit in every single believer. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, some may exhibit more faith than others, but that's not because the Holy Spirit saying, well, you don't need as much faith. It's that we all have a personality. And our personality can, if we allow it, it can bring a certain beautiful glimmer to a particular characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. But God is working all of those at one time. It's not, it's, hey, think of it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is not Golden Corral. It's not a buffet where you choose this and don't choose that. And by the way, you shouldn't be going to Golden Corral. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's almost, there's legislation to make it a crime. I'm just kidding. Some of you, it's your favorite restaurant. I know, forgive me. I must have gone there one too many times in my life. So it's kind of like a bronze corral for me at this point. It's not quite the same. But, but, but that fruit is not something you pick and choose. It's something God desires. And so I want to say that because you might be thinking as you listen to this message on Timothy, well, I mean, good for Timothy. You know, I remember reading Calvin and Hobbes years ago and, and, and there's, there's uh, Calvin, he's reading the book. This one of those primer books, you know, from way back in the day, the, 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 the Dick and Jane books. He's, look, Jane, see spot. See spot, run. Run, spot, run. Jane sees spot, run. And then he looks up, way to go, Jane. <laughs> Sometimes I think, I think people... <laughs> i think some christians they hear messages and they're like yeah way to go way to go jane go and do that that'd be good for somebody here i don't know who but for somebody this message is for every believer in this room i hate to be cynical but it's probably only for one person in this room And the reason I say that is not because it's not possible for it to apply to everybody. It's that everybody else is looking at it going, way to go, Timothy. Good for you, man. You did good, good stuff. We like you. We might even take up a love offering for you. You know what the Lord's saying? I'm not looking for a love offering. I'm looking for you. I want you to have the characteristics of Timothy. And if you don't feel uncomfortable, let the Holy Spirit push it even further. If you're not willing to be made into a Timothy, something is wrong between you and God. As you see these characteristics, God didn't just put stuff in the Bible to say, oh, and we had some really fun times there, and it was really cool, and this guy Tim, Tim was there, Tim is awesome, I love Tim. No, it's not about that. that. That's the historical side, that's the, 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 the story side, but all these things written for our learning. These are examples. God is saying, I want you to have the characteristics of a flesh and blood guy just like you. He did it, and you can do it. Are you ready? Here we go. Timothy, number one, was sendable and dependable. This is what made Timothy a useful tool of edification. Sendable and dependable. Did you see what he says in verse 19? I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. Paul's focused on communication with the Philippian church and he is going to use, not email, he is going to use T-mail. He's going to send... That's a terrible joke, isn't it? I just made it up. But if you're laughing, you're not sleeping. Amen? (laughs) Paul's using this T-mail, special messengers to get the information to the Philippians and and from the Philippians. He says... uh, And verse 23, him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Remember, Paul is waiting, chapter 1, verse 23, Christ is going to be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He didn't know how he was going to out of prison, but he said, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's saying, I'm in prison, guys, but I'm not going to stay in prison. I'm either going to get get delivered, or I'm going to get delivered, sorry, got distracted, I'm going to get delivered, or I am going to be put to death physically, and I'll be delivered spiritually. Notice he says, I'm going to send him when I find out the verdict of whether I'm going to die or be set free. So the Philippians really want to know: Is Paul going to? I mean, is this the end for Paul? Is he done? They're really concerned about him, and you would be too if you had a beloved brother in in uh, in, in jail somewhere, and he's on trial, and is he going to be put to death? We don't know. And they didn't have telephones, right? And the most guaranteed method of getting a message was having someone carry that message on purpose that was Timothy he was going to bring this message whether or not you'll notice in the passage that he has already sent Epaphroditus Epaphroditus is on the way he's making tracks but Timothy is waiting until they find out what what the verdict is then he's going to send him notice that Timothy is sendable he's a ready messenger he's standing ready To be sent. Take your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. He's ready to go anywhere, to help anyone, to pay any price. A missionary, that word is not found in the Bible. We certainly understand the concept. A missionary is someone who is sent on a mission. So, Timothy is, realistically, Timothy is a missionary. Now, by the way, getting on a plane doesn't make you a missionary, landing in another country doesn't make you a missionary being connected with and buying into the mission makes you a missionary. Do you see the difference? Some people want to go on a vacation somewhere and call themselves a missionary. Not a lot of people, but some. Some people want to live perpetually in another country and make sure they take pictures of other people's meetings so that it looks like things are getting done. You say, not missionaries. Oh yeah, there's some moochinaries out there. But, but ultimately uh, i 'm thankful for, uh, for the missionaries that, that are connected with you know, hey, listen, giving balloons to people and, and help give food it 's all important. but he said, "Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost." Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. What is, the, what is that he command? He has given us the gospel. We're supposed to take the gospel. So when you are participating in getting the gospel from A to B, you are a missionary. You're involved with the mission. And Timothy was a missionary. Watch what we find of him in Acts chapter 16. Notice verse 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman. There he is. Which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. He had a report of the brethren from his hometown and his area. People said, Oh, Timothy, it's a good guy. It's a good guy. He's a blessing, he's an encouragement. You know, that's, in order to be sendable, you have to be of good report. People have to look at you, be able to look at you and say, that's a good man. Now, if you're really trying to hurry up and get sent out so that you can be called a good man, or you just want people to call you a good man, it's not good enough. You see, Timotheus lived there at Lystra in that area, and he just did what was right. He just lived a good life. And other people started saying about Timothy, that's a good man right there. That's a man that loves the Lord. Then, in God's providence, his great plan, he brings the apostle Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, he brings him to town, right? Now what has he got? Now Paul sees this man, and look what he says in verse 3, him would Paul have to go forth with him. He said, I want that kind of a guy with me. Paul was always taking people under their wing, under his wing. He was always trying to bring somebody along. I want you you to come with me. And that's the mark of a believer who is interested in the Great Commission, trying to take someone under his or her wing. Now, listen, I don't have enough room under my wing for you. Sometimes I feel like my wings are broken because I'm trying to help people. Listen, that's what we're called to. Now, you ought to take care, first of all, of, of your spouse if you have one. You ought to be concerned about your children, of course. Your extended family, that goes without saying. If you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. You can't work in the gospel ministry if you hate your family. You've got to be willing to help those that want to be helped and are able to be guided. That's what Paul's doing. But Paul's even going beyond that. He's helping those who are not related to him. And he's not just helping those who are downtrodden. He's looking for good investments. He's looking for investment opportunities you know that you're doing well financially when you when you stop complaining about interest rates in other words you stop complaining about how interest is making you pay and now you're wishing that interest would pay you you're looking for a place to put your money so that you can get a return on your investment And some of you have been bitterly disappointed over and over and over again. And and we all say amen. Spiritually speaking, God's not happy with you to take your talent and bury it in the earth. He wants you to make a return on the investment that he's given you. How do you do that? You go out of your way, you look for people who are good investments. And that's what Paul does. Now notice the requirement of going on this missions trip. How many of you want to go on this missions trip with Paul? I do. Come forward and be circumcised. Whoa, sports fans. That's a release form right there. Great day in the morning. I'm not interested in that. This is what made Paul, uh, uh, Timothy, sendable. He was willing to be a good example and have a good report where he was. Well, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. They can just do, they can have their own thoughts like, I'm, a, I'm my own man. Sorry. That's not Christ-like. You ought to be concerned about what other people think about Jesus Christ in you. You ought to be. And Timothy was. Paul says, come with me. Oh, by the way, we'll stop real quick and get this procedure done, and then you can go with me. You know what that means? Timothy... Was willing to humble himself, humble himself, in order to be used of God. That's what made him sendable. Verse number 11. Acts 16, 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi. Which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we, who is that? Well, it's Paul. It's Luke. It's Timothy. We were abiding, we're in that city abiding certain days. Look at chapter 17, verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Hold on a second. Okay, I'll go with you on your trip. I'm there to help you. I'll, 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 you know, help do stuff. Notice how it's ramped up. Paul wanted him in chapter 16 to come, and now Paul is commanding him to come. Do you see that? He he said, receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed. He's saying, guys, get here as soon as you can. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I don't like when people are pushing me. I was driving down Interstate 80, 90, coming, coming east the other night, and there was a guy behind me, apparently it was an emergency vehicle. He pulled up right on my tail and started flashing his lights. And thank God for autopilot, what do you call it, cruise control. Because I ain't going any faster, I can tell you that. You're not pushing me. So I'm trying to get around this truck. I'm in the left-hand lane. I'm going 75 the guy's behind me as if there's an emergency. So I get up there, and there's a space for me to pull over. I ain't pulling over. <laughs> I'm staying in the left-hand lane. Why? Somebody's got to, listen, sit, the, the police aren't around. Somebody's got to teach this guy a lesson. So I'm staying 75. 75. Man, he, he is on me now like a buzzard on dead meat, and he is, he is coming up. He's not hitting me, but he's getting closer, and now it's as if this was what his car was made to do, to flash lights. That was the purpose of the car. Now he is just flashing, 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 flashing. I may or may not have tapped on the brake. <laughs> Why? Back off, Jack. There's something that really bugs me, and I won't tell you the rest of the story. It's slightly embarrassing to me. My flashers work too. That's all I'll say. You know what that is? I I don't like it when people are throwing their weight around. You know what Timothy's doing here? Timothy is being told what to do by someone who's not his dad, by someone who's already asked him to do something very, very difficult and unusual for the purpose of testimony. And now... Timotheus decides, okay, he's sendable. There's something in our flesh that says, I agree with other people and I work together with other people as long as we're all saying the same thing and no one is actually trying to tell me what to do. You know what what we struggle with many times? We struggle with people in authority. Just all there is to it. How do I know this? You know, if you're going to be someone that can be a blessing to others, you've got to be sendable. And sendable doesn't just mean the church is going to pay your way to go and do what you want to do anyhow. It means that you have the ability to take direction. Well, I don't want to take direction. You don't have to. Nobody's going to make you take direction. I'm not going to force you to do that. I'm here to tell you, Timothy would never have turned into the Swiss Army knife that he did if he hadn't been able to take that direction from his mentor. Look at chapter 19, verse number 22. 19:22. It says, "So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus." Again, we see Timotheus being sent. And there were people who had ministered to him, people that were servants. That's what the word minister means in the Old Testament. Minister and serve are interchangeable. And they were serving Paul. And now, Paul is sending Timothy out once again. And over and over again, we see that he was being sent. He was sendable. He was a ready messenger, ready to go anywhere, to help anyone, and to pay any price. The sendability grew out of his Dependability When Paul Sent Timothy on a mission He could rely on Timothy And why could he rely on Timothy Because Timothy would come back and say Here's what's going on Here's what's going on And we'll find later that Timothy actually had The same spirit and heart As Paul did Did you notice in Philippians chapter 2 He said wherefore my beloved as you have always Obeyed not as in my presence only But now much more in my absence work out your own salvation work out your own salvation prove that what god put in you is really there how by being dependable with no one around by being able to be sent by someone else you see what the lord the lord is going to challenge us here's what the lord here's how the lord will challenge us he'll challenge children to obey their parents that's a challenge for kids. Have you noticed that? He'll challenge, he'll challenge women, wives, to submit to their own husbands. That's a challenge. Have you noticed that? Don't expect you to say amen. <laughs> he challenges men to obey the leaders in their lives. Have you noticed that that's a challenge? You see, it's a challenge for all of us. But in order for us to be a dependable, useful servant, we have to be sendable. And in order for us to be sendable, we've got to be dependable. In other words, what happened with that thing? How did that go? You know, you can tell your boss anything you want to about that report. But let me see the report. You could tell him how things went, but let me see a picture of the finished project. It's not just, well, I think it's this and I think it's that. You see, that accountability thing, as Americans, we ain't got time for accountability. We went to war over someone trying to tell us what to do. If we're not careful, we drag that into our Christian lives. We've got to be sendable and dependable. And then we find next in chapter 2 of Philippians, back to chapter 2, verse number 19, He said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. It is natural for all men to seek their own welfare. But Timothy cares for others as much as he did himself. That is supernatural. He learned that from Christ himself through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Notice he says, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. What are the things? What are those things? Let's look at chapter 2, verse number 1. Notice, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, that's number 1. Christ is first. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Keep that in mind. J-O-Y. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other. There's second. Better than themselves. There's third. First, second, third. Christ others, me, or as some said, Jesus, others, and you, joy. It's right there in the passage. And then he goes backwards. He says in verse number four, look not every man on his own, that's third, his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's second And then the very next phrase, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. That's first. First, second, third. Third, second, first. We've got to develop an attitude of me third. Me third. Not me first. Me third. What does God want? What does Christ desire in my life? Oh man, I'm so, sometimes I say this, I feel like I say it over and over again. I have to remind myself of it and I have to remind all of us of it. We all, we all know this, don't we? But our flesh just naturally sinks to, I'm going to make as much money as I can. I'm going to have the nicest body I can. I'm going to have the nicest home, the nicest kids. Well, I don't care whether kids, whatever. But I'm going to have the nicest. I'm going to be the most. I'm going to get the most. I'm going to be the smartest. I'm going to have the most for retirement. I'm going to be the best, whatever it might be. Listen, our whole purpose of being believers is Christ first. And, and, and the problem is, we hear that, and it's like, yeah, Christ first. And it's like this theological thing, like, yeah, did you know, you know, that uh, the, it's like trivia about the Three Stooges or something. It's like, oh yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> no, Christ is supposed to be our life. And this is as hard for me as it is for anyone else in this room. My job is to remind you that Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You're going to know what you actually look like when you see Jesus Christ. Right now we think, well, I know what's most important for me. I just got to go to church, make sure I check the box so I'm good to go. No. The only reason you come to church is to remember again how and why Christ is most important in your life and to worship him. The rest of our lives is not me time. Me time. And then I give God a little time on Sundays. It's his time the whole time. And that's the, tra- that's the battle that we face. Why? We have this old nature. And it wants a lot of money in the bank. And it wants to be fit. And it wants to be good looking. And it wants to be entertained. And it wants to be liked. But can I tell you, in Christ, you are already perfect. You are already sinless. Sinless. You you are already beautiful. You look like Christ. If you knew that you were already accepted in the beloved right now, maybe you wouldn't work so hard to try to prove something in the flesh that you already are in the spirit. All right, so here we have Paul. And he's telling, listen, the things which are Jesus Christ are thinking of others. You say, I want to be Christ-like. I want to be Christ-like. But I don't have time for other people, no? No then you can't be Christ-like. Why? Isn't it true that this example of the lowliness of mind that Jesus Christ had was all about him coming to this earth to accomplish salvation for those who could not afford it, those who could not earn it? He gave it to us. He humbled himself and became obedient under the death of the cross so that you and I could have something that we could never earn. Salvation is not something that you earn. Salvation is something that God gives you. And Jesus Christ gave his own life in order for you and I to have it. That's what it means by having the mind of Christ. Thinking on the things which are Jesus Christ is to think on the things that others need, spiritually speaking. What do other people need? This is not a matter of, hey, everybody just give all your money and we'll just divvy it up and give it to people who have broken down cars and houses with roofs that leak and we'll just give all that, and that way we're all being Christ-like. No, because what happened? We'll give all that money, and next week it'll be the crowd that gave that has the problems. just keeps going back and forth. Those things are helpful, that we help people. We want to be encouragement and blessing to them in material possessions. But ultimately, our concern should be for the spiritual needs of other people. What do they need spiritually? Timothy was sendable. Timothy was selfless and sympathetic. Selfless and sympathetic. He cared more for others than he cared for himself. That's the mind of Christ. And I want you to notice that his sympathy grew out of his sendability. Now, if you're like me, I'm not the best always at resonating with emotions. Now, some of you are saying, I know, you never called me. And listen, I, 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 I freely admit my problems, my difficulties. I want to grow in that, and I believe every every Christian should grow in their ability to be selfless and sympathetic about the needs. Timothy said, uh, Paul said, Timothy cares about your state. He will come and care as if I were there about your state. I'm thankful to tell you, the standing in Christ is not in question. The state of the believers goes up and down. Have you noticed that? Your daily state, difficult, you're feeling great, awesome, wonderful, you're feeling horrible. You're back and forth, up and down. Just man falleth seven times and riseth again. The state is what Paul's concerned about. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy there so he can figure out how you're doing. Now take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would. Hebrews chapter 4. And look at how sendability grows sympathy. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 verse number 15. He says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Okay, that's Jesus Christ, the high priest. We know that he has been touched and he is touched with how we feel. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. But was in all points tempted like as we are. Because Christ was willing to be sent he can now sympathize with those who are being tempted. You see, if you're not willing to be sent, you won't have sympathy. Or or you'll think you have sympathy, but it's not based on what God wants. Look at chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Who Who is he speaking of here? Who is this? crying with strong tears what's his name jesus in the days of his flesh have you had strong crying and tears jesus knows what you have experienced he says he was able to save him for death was heard in that he feared talked about the fear of god last sunday the fear he had fear of god Watch, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Who did God commission to author salvation? The one who was willing to be sent and to experience firsthand what it meant to be a human being. He experienced everything about being a human being except for sin. And because of that, he is able to be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Does Jesus know what it's like to feel badly in his body? Absolutely he does. Why? He was a human. He has been touched with that. If you're looking to be a sendable saint, you've got to be dependable. And if you're dependable in your character and you can be responsible, you can fulfill a task, you're not looking for other people to do it, you're doing it. You'll find that you're sendable. And when you are sendable, you will find that you have first-hand experience with how people feel in Malawi, with how people feel in the nursing home, with with how people feel in the jail, with how people feel when you're knocking on a door telling someone about the gospel. You will see them. You will see your neighbors next door. If you're willing to be sent and you go and you connect with them, you will begin to sympathize with them because you will come into contact with what they actually feel like. Isn't it interesting? We all think that we have the worst of it, but everybody else in town, everybody else on our street is having a great time. They have a nicer car. They have a better house. They have much more money, right? Why is that? Because we don't know them. Because we're not connected with them. Well, everybody in jail needs to be in jail. Maybe so, maybe so. Have you ever visited a jail? changes your mindset. Do you realize that nursing homes are some of the saddest places in America? Why? We send our parents there, our grandparents there, to somebody else to take care of them so we don't feel guilty. Now listen, in many cases it has to be done. But it's a very sad place. How can you go back week after week after week and visit those people? You go back because you're touched with the feeling of their infirmities. Your sympathy grows for other people because you're sendable. You care more about other people than just yourself. That's where he counted it from. The Bible says, he that goeth forth and weepeth. So I don't have a burden for lost souls. It's because you're not trying to win lost souls. You're not sendable. That's why you don't care. Once you go and you connect with that guy who's got an ankle bracelet and he's just sitting there and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Once you go and connect with him and he says, yeah, my name's Raphael, then you start realizing this is a real guy and I really want to talk to him. You know what most of us do in our flesh? We say, oh, I don't know. Lord, send me an opportunity. Lord, somebody help me. You know, maybe one of these days I'll get an opportunity to witness. They're all around you, but you're not sendable. God could use you to impact someone, but you're not sendable. Which means you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone. Once you get willing, and I'm telling you, Timothy got out of his comfort zone. He was willing to do that. Way to go, Tim. No, I'm talking to you. Talking to you. I don't know how God will use you, what he will use, uh, in what circumstances you will find yourself As you surrender to God, but I do know this. The Holy Spirit is very interested in guiding you just as he guided Timothy. Why? He has not aged a day since 2,000 years of church history. The Holy Spirit is still alive, and he's quick and powerful, and he's given us his word, and he's in you. Sendable and dependable, selfless and sympathetic. And lastly this morning, Timothy, in verse number 22, was a seasoned servant. He says in verse 22 back in Philippians chapter 2, but ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father he hath served with me in the gospel. Ye know the proof of him. Philippians, they're the chief city of Macedonia. Timothy was a seasoned veteran. He was a troubleshooter, as I said, Corinth, Thessalonica, Ephesus, Philippi, and and Paul wrote into the eternal record that the church at Philippi knew that Timothy had proven himself. Ye know the proof of him. There are people here today, I could ask them to stand, and every person that's a member of this church would say, she's proved herself. He has proved himself. I I, I hope, I hope someone could say that about me. Timothy could stand and all the church there at Philippi would say, he's proven himself. He was seasoned, seasoned. Well, I don't think anybody has any right to tell me whether I'm right with God or whether, okay, then you're not going to be a very useful tool. You have to open yourself up and be vulnerable to the confirmation of other believers. It's one of the reasons why we have a hard time launching people into ministry is because people want to define for themselves what the ministry is and then self-confirm, self-authenticate, and go into ministry. You know what God requires us to do as believers? He wants us to be made vulnerable to the church as a whole to determine whether or not I have proven myself. But the good thing is other people have done it, and you can do it. You know what he says in Galatians 4, 6? Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. What burden has God put in your life that he wants you to prove yourself with? How how, how much time have you spent in the last six months bemoaning your station in comparison with other people? I have burdens to bear that other people don't have. Every man shall bear his own burden. We're supposed to bear other people's burdens with them as well, but we're not supposed to be looking for other people to bear our burdens. My job is to bear my burden and to bear someone else's burden secondarily. And if every person here did that, you wouldn't have to worry about someone needing help with their burden. You see, my job, number one, is in my state. I may look back at my life in the last several years and see a graveyard of buried hopes. I might see ruin. In my case, I see a, a burned house. You might see a death of a loved one. You, you might see a separation or divorce or a wayward child, or a health difficulty, and we look back and we say, it's not fair. It's not fair. Other people don't have to deal with this nonsense that I'm dealing with. You know what Timothy did? Timothy said, well, this is where God's called me. This is what I'm doing. You can imagine him and Paul walking down to get that procedure done. Timothy's like, anybody else coming? Like, where is everybody? No, it's just you, Tim. Well, how fair is that? it's just necessary for the mission, Tim. We just got to do it for the mission. You see, God's calling us as believers to stop looking around at everyone else and and how they have it so much better and to bear our burden and go to God in prayer. And that is where you will have communion with God himself in a way that you never have. Why? You're not dragging everybody else into the throne room. It's just you and God. And you're saying, God, you got to help me where I am right now. I can't bear this burden alone. And he said, cast all your cares upon me. I'll do the caring for you. You cast them on there. And now you find a union with God. And in that union with God, now you're able to look around and say, maybe I could help brother. So-and-so you recognize someone else that's been through the same difficulty. And instead of you saying, when are people going to call? Why aren't they going to connect with me? Nobody cares. You're the one calling other people. You're the one connecting. You're the one caring. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given us. You have an opportunity to commune with your Savior in this difficulty in a way that you never have before. Now, we should care for other people. But we should utterly abandon this thought of who is going to care for me. To get rid of it. Should never think it. You should always think, God. If you'll give me strength, I will care. I will carry and bear the burden that you've given me. And if you'll give me grace, I'll bear the burden of someone else. That's what Timothy did. He proved himself. He proved himself alongside of his mentor, Paul. He said, "As a son with the father, mine own son in the faith, my dearly beloved son." You see his sendability and his sympathy. I want you to watch this. This is very important. Grew out of his like mind with Paul. He said, "I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state. You need to be in connection with a mature believer." You know, some of you are like, "I'm just trying to help people." You're not ready to help people. You need help yourself. You need to find someone who's more spiritual. If if you're looking for someone to hang out with, find someone to hang out with that you consider closer to God than you yourself are. Someone who knows more of the Bible. See, as Paul was bringing Timothy along, Timothy was willing to be guided as a son with a father, even though Paul was not his father. And he said, I'll follow along with you, and I'll adopt the way that you think, Paul. And he did. Timothy became a man after Paul's own heart. And he became as concerned as Paul was for these Philippians. It didn't mean they always agreed. It didn't mean they had the same temperament. But it does mean that each of them surrendered his natural way of thinking and yielded to the mind of Christ. It does not say that Timothy, Paul said, Timothy served me in the gospel. It doesn't say that. Paul, Paul said, Timothy served with me in the gospel. They were a team of servants. It was that same servant attitude of Jesus Christ taking upon him the form of a servant. It was the same servant heart that Paul had, and then it manifested itself in Timothy, serving. And it's available to you and I this morning. F.B. Meyer said, I have only one ambition, to be God's errand boy. As we think about missions conference coming up, Those sent to accomplish the mission. May we remember Timothy. He's willing to humble himself as a servant. He was willing to be sent based on the need, not on his desire. And because he was sent and in close connection with these people, he developed sympathy. And over time, he proved himself as a valuable servant who was capable of edifying the saints. Let's bow our heads in prayer.